Hello, everybody, and welcome to a special edition of College Football Game Day Live, the podcast edition. This will be the first of four episodes that me and Mike Farrell are going to do uh, regarding the bowl games, handicapping them all, giving you our picks, sides, totals, props, the, the whole deal. I'm your host, Thor Nystrom, joined as always by the aforementioned Mike Farrell of Mike Farrell Sports. Mike, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. Uh, we're, we're far away from the big games, but we got some interesting ones where you can make some money. We sure do. And we have 11 games that we're going to get to in this episode. So let's jump right into it. We're starting with uh, the first bowl game on the slate. UAB um, is the favorite against Miami of Ohio. UAB favored by 11. We have a total in this game of 44 and a half. The Bahamas Bowl, of course, played in Nassau. The Bahamas, 1030 a.m. Central kickoff on Friday, uh, December 16th. Mike, who do you like in this game? So the line right now is 11. And of course, you got to check that because it's going to change here and there. You know, I think UAB is going to win. I, I like their offense better. Um, they, they do have trouble from what it seems uh, with teams that can run the football. Um, but if you're going to give 11 points to Miami of Ohio, they've been a good team this season, especially late in the season um, when it comes to covering the spread. Um, you know, and in bowl games, traditionally, they play well. Um, I know a lot of people don't follow the Mac and bowl game results and things like that, but they're four and zero against the spread in their last four bowl games. Um, and, and, you know, they've been playing much better later in the season. So I think they're going to be able to run the football. I think they're going to be able to keep this game close. I don't expect them to win. I, I like the offensive firepower for EAB, but if you give me 11, I'm going to take Miami of Ohio. I'm taking Miami of Ohio in this game as well. The, I, I should mention the the opt-outs first. There's none that has been reported on the UAB side. Miami of Ohio side, Brett Gabbert, he had entered the transfer portal. Now he's coming back to Miami. He was also injured during the season, only played in four games. I don't know if he's going to play in this game between like the change of status and his injury status. I'm expecting it to be A.B. on Collins, who played two-thirds of their snaps this year anyway. Um, they also lost the starting guard in Caleb Schaefer to the to, to the transfer portal. Miami did. Um, but I'm taking Miami anyway. Like I said, the, the difference between Gabbert and Smith, it, it's certainly a, a, a bit of a downgrade. But Smith is a way better runner. He, he Smith is just an enormous downgrade as a passer. But fortunately for Miami, in terms of this on field matchup, the UAB defense where you attack it, it's their run defense. UAB has one of the best pass defenses in the entire G5. But with Avion Smith behind center, again, that's what I'm assuming. Miami's not going to be throwing the ball much anyway. It's going to be sort of a, a methodical attack where they're just trying to move the ball on the ground and, and keep that clock running. Um, and then on the other side, UAB's offense did get uh, better when Dylan Hopkins came back. It was a part of the reason why they had underachieved when, when uh, Hopkins was injured and they were playing Jacob Zeno. Um, but despite that, uh, Miami has the better defense here than, than UAB does. And I, I think even better than UAB's offense. I think Miami's defense is the best uh, unit that, that is going to be on the field. UAB, UAB's strength, of course, is their run game, Dwayne McBride being the star. But Miami of Ohio, their defensive strength is their run defense. So I, you know, I, I, I'm expecting on both sides just a ton of running, running clock. Um, and I think Miami can do enough to suppress the scoring of UAB to stay within this bloated number. And Mike, you mentioned uh, how good Chuck Martin has been um, in bowl games, uh, 3-0 and in bowl games. And you mentioned 4-0 and if, if you go back to the, the game before him. Uh, Chuck Martin's also 5-1 and against the spread in his career in neutral site games. So I'm absolutely taking those 11 points. Moving on to our second game on Friday, uh, Troy against uh, UTSA. Troy is favored by one and a half points. 
in this one in the Cure Bowl. This one is in Orlando, Florida. We have a total on this game of 54 and a half. Mike, who do you like in this one, or do you have an angle on this one? I have an angle. I don't like the the, the line. Um, I'm not picking a side in this one. Um, and again, as we as we notice, there's so many factors. We just talked about UAB in Miami, Ohio. UAB has a new coach. You know, he, he hasn't taken over yet. Um, you know, got Gabbert in the portal, out of the portal. Is he coming back? When is he going to come back? Uh, there's so many. And as we get into the bigger games and the better football players, the opt-outs and things like that are going to affect things. And really what that does to me is it if the line is really that tight and I don't really know who's going to win the football game, like I think Troy is going to win the game, but I don't really know. Um, so the over is is what's attractive to me here because I think that's a low number for this game. Um, you know, these two teams score points um, and, and they score a lot of them. Um, you know, the over is 8-0 uh, in the Trojans' last eight bowl games. I don't know why the number is always low for them, but it just is. Um, you know, and it's 5-0 and in the last five uh, non-conference games for, for UTSA. They score a lot of points too. So give me the over on this one. You know, Frank Harris coming back for his 58th year. <laughs> um, I think he's going to put up really good numbers for them. Uh, Troy's a very good football team. I think they win it, uh, but I don't know. You know, one and a half, you'd think, okay, you think Troy's going to win and take the money line. I don't know. Either team could win this, but I know it's going to go over. Both these teams, Mike, as you know, are on absolute heaters. They both started out one and two, and then they they both ripped off 10 straight wins to get here. Obviously, both of them won their conference title game. I, this is a pretty attractive matchup. I agree with you, though, on Troy. Only having to give that one point, I, I do think Troy is is going to win this one. The total for me was was too tough, so I'm staying away from that, but I, I, I'm going to back Troy here. We don't have as many opt-outs uh, on the Troy side. A couple of their secondary receivers um, are iffy for this game. And then for UTSA, their stud receiver, or one of their, their three former stud receivers, DeCorian Clark, he got knocked out for the year in October, so UTSA is down to two stud receivers. And then uh, uh, Brendan Brady, uh, one of their uh, platoon running backs, is questionable for this game after he missed the, the conference title game. Um, it, like, it, it, as far as the, the on-field matchup of this one, Troy's defense is what they've been led by all season. Uh, everybody talks about Carlton Marshall, the undersized whirling dervish linebacker that they have, the tackle machine, the, the all-time FBS leader in tackles. But Troy is stout outside of that as well. They have a lockdown corner, uh, this kid named Stewart, uh, Reddy Stewart, who I think is, is going to come to the fore in this matchup because with, with UTSA, uh, Zakari Franklin, their outside receiver, is a stud, right? Um, Stewart is going to be the guy who is going to be counted on to shadow him and hopefully lock him down. Stewart is top 10 in the nation in PFF grades for, for cornerbacks out of like 900 plus. So he, he's just having this absolutely fabulous season. And because UTSA lost to Corey and Clark earlier this year, they only have the two standout receivers. The replacement for Clark has has been, you know, mediocre when he's been out there. So he doesn't scare Troy very much. I think UTSA is going to have to stick to the air here, you know, obviously with Harris and stuff like that. You have the little bit of a depreciated running back room. Um, and, and I just think that, that Troy's defense is really well suited for that. And when UTSA is running the ball, you know, against those thinned out boxes, Carlton Marshall is going to be the guy who's counted on to clean all that stuff up. Well, he's done that throughout his career. So, so I'm not super worried about that. And then the UTSA defense, what they're good at is stopping the run. They do not have as good of a pass defense. UTSA's defense also gets gouged for explosive plays. I think that's where they're going to get bitten by the Troy offense. Troy's offense is not very explosive, 
or I'm, I'm sorry, he's not very efficient, but it is explosive, both in the in the run game and in the passing game. The running game for Troy has come on recently. Kamani Vidal's rushed for like 650 yards plus over the last five games. Um, so th- th- you got that. And then Gunnar Watson has played pretty well as well, the, the quarterback for Troy. I, th- I think they're going to connect on a couple of explosive plays. I think they're going to suppress UTSA's offense. UTSA's offense has played this procession of crappy defenses. This is one of the best defenses UTSA is going to play all season. I, I do expect Troy to, to overcome them in this game. Uh, moving on to the next one. Now we're moving into Saturday, Mike. This is an 11 a.m. Eastern kick on Saturday. The Fenway Bowl in Boston, obviously. Uh, we, we have a line here that, that that is toggling between favorites, where it's the one team's favorite than the next team. The, the market's just sort of batting this one over the threshold. Right now, Louisville is favored by uh, one and a half points over Cincinnati. But by the time you hear this, it, it certainly could be the other way. Um, we, we have some inactives in, in this one, Mike, that I, I wanted to run through quick because th- this is one where there's a bunch of them. On the Cincinnati side, Ben Bryant, their starting quarterback, is out for the season with an injury. They also had several pass catchers that either opted um, out for the NFL draft or are transferring. Um, the, the two big ones that, that were just straight opt-outs, Trey Tucker, one of their leading receivers, and then Josh Weil, who's who's going to the NFL as well. Nick Mardner and Jaden Thompson, though, uh, tertiary receivers for them, they also opted out. So I think Cincinnati ended up losing four of their top five pass catchers. On the Louisville side, Malik Cunningham has opted out for this game. He had gotten injured at the end of the, the regular season, re-aggravated his shoulder injury against Kentucky in the finale. He's shutting it down, and that makes sense. Um, they also have a couple of uh, transfer portal running backs, Travion Cooley and Jalen Mitchell jumped in there, although Louisville has some depth at, at running back. And of course, this is the Scott Satterfield ball with Satterfield going from Louisville to Cincinnati. The 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 staff on Louisville got blown up like the, the bowl staff got blown up a bit more than Cincinnati's Cincinnati's going with Kerry Coombs as their uh, interim head coach. Louisville going with Dion Branch, but Louisville had to do a whole bunch more shuffling because Louisville's offensive coordinator, Lance Taylor, also took the WMU head coaching job. Um, They also lost their strength and conditioning coach uh, to Arkansas, and then several assistants followed Satterfield. So, Mike, with all that said, I tried to rumble through that as quick as I I could. What's your angle on this one? No, you should do that for every game because this is the ridiculousness of where we are with the portal, you know, Crazy season, the coaching carousel always impacts this, that, and the other. And I think, you know, recent years has gotten a little bit crazier. You know, last offseason was insane with so many coaches changing big level, high level jobs. But this year, the dominoes have really come into play. Um, Luke Fickle takes, you know, the Wisconsin job. Satterfield takes the Cincinnati job. Brom takes the Louisville job. And who's there? Who's there to coach? You know, players are opting out and they're in the portal. Um you know, you just went through all the guys that are either opting out, injured, or in the portal, or, or, or all three. Um, and it's just, it's very difficult to come up with a winner in this football game, which is a one-point game. So to me, the number I like here, and you're going to see this a lot, I think, and not not by rule, I like the over. Um, I think that's a low number. Now, again, you're talking about, you know, Evan Prater. Um, you're talking about guys that you've never heard of that are younger players you know, stepping up into bigger roles that they're not used to. Uh, can they be efficient offensively? Probably not, but you're going to see a ton of turnovers in chaos like this as well because the coaches aren't on the same page or the players aren't on the same page or it's the younger guys who are coming off of scout team or backup roles that thrust into starting roles. They're going to make mistakes and there's going to be a lot of 
uh, egregious mistakes. So in this game, you, you, if this was a regular season game and Fickle were the head coach and Satterfield were the head coach and I could break it down like a normal human being could, I would have a different answer for you. But I'm going to take the over here. I, I think this is going to be a mistake-prone game. I don't think that's going to keep the score low. I think you're going to see some big, massive mistakes on both sides of the football that are going to lead to short fields, potential you know, turnover scores, uh, and I'm, I'm going to take the over. If I gunned ahead, who would win this football game? I mean, Louisville. And, and the reason I say that is because the guys that are left are going to be, a, I don't know, a little bit more motivated to, to beat the guy that left them. You know, but I don't know. But so give me the over. So I'm going to I'm going to stick to the side with with my handicap. And I, I went into the matrix a little bit on this one, Mike. So I'm going to I'm going to try to, to simplify it for, for folks out there, because I know I know I tossed out a whole lot of names. There was certainly more opt outs on the Cincy side and even more contributors. But I actually think the the defections on both sides, it basically comes out as a wash. And the reason why is the drop off from Malik Cunningham to uh, Dolman, the, the backup for Louisville, is huge. Uh, Doman did not play well in any of his appearances this year. Doman is cement footed. So you, you take out the entire rushing element that, that Malik Cunningham has in spades and Doman also to the, I mean, he's a pocket passer, but to this point, he's not even as good of a thrower as Malik Cunningham. So the, the Louisville's passing offense is also going to greatly suffer because of that and probably become more predictable having to, to you know, a lot of handoffs to the running backs. Whereas the Cincinnati trade-off from uh, Ben Bryant to the aforementioned Evan Prater it's much less of a drop off. Prater also got, you know, some some, you know, time this year, you know, as did Doman. They had about analogous snaps or whatever. Uh Prater is is certainly a drop off from Bryant as a thrower, but Prater is a better runner than Bryant. And when you have seen Prater on the field this year, that manifests in the play calling tendencies of the Cincinnati offensive staff. They call more design runs for Prater and and do more of the the grinded out stuff that he's good at. Um, it, and that helps the Cincinnati offense in some ways on, you know, at least in, in terms of the rushing aspect, because Cincinnati's like just their nuts and bolts run game this year, greatly disappointed. Obviously they had lost uh, Jerome Ford. And then of course, Desmond Ritter as well. And then you go to, to Ben Bryant, who was not a rushing threat. Um, the offensive line underachieved a little bit. And then the, the running backs were just guys, right? Like they were platooning through like four different running backs. Um, they, they never unearthed the stud out of those guys. But with Prater, you can manufacture yards on the ground. It's also because of this, my expectation of sort of the, the flip tendencies with Cincinnati skewing way more run heavy with Prater, that I don't think the losses of all those pass catchers is quite as acute as, for instance, if this game was Bryant against Cunningham and, you know, for, for Bryant having the drop off in that receiving core, just because, again, I don't expect Cincinnati to throw very much. What I do know in this game is Cincinnati's defense is going to have their way with Louisville's offense. Again, with, with Doman in, Louisville's off offense just becomes toothless. Cincinnati is one of the better uh, defenses in the G5. So I, I think that they're going to be able to shut the lights out on them. And Louisville's run defense is not very good. So I, I think that, that since he is going to be able to nick them and, and nick them, the, the coaching staff handicap, it's, it's kind of interesting, you know, with, with Louisville's getting blown up more. Um, I, you know, in, in that aspect, I, I also give a bit of the advantage to Cincinnati as far as the, the motivation thing. That's interesting, right? Because the Louisville players were absolutely furious when Satterfield left because of, well, in, in large part because of the way that Satterfield left. How does that manifest sort of in their mindset for this game? Obviously, Jeff Brom is coming in, but he's not going to have anything to do with this game. 
you'd imagine the players want to give uh, effort for Dion Branch, but also is there a portion of, of that roster that's thinking about leaving now or still has residual bad feelings about that? I'm not really sure. But all, all that stuff put together, I, I do like Cincinnati in, in this one. And the line, whenever you listen to this, it's it's going to be under three either way. Like I said, the favorite keeps toggling at the sports books, but um, I'm going to take Cincinnati regardless of of what that whether it's plus one or one and a half or minus one or one and a half. I'm I'm going to take the Bearcats. You're, brave, you're a brave. You're a brave man. Um, and, and Evan Prater, we trust, Mike. So here's the thing that happened with Satterfield that a lot of, I don't even know if it's been publicized or people have talked about it or whatever. So the the reason you know Louisville kind of screwed him. He had the seven and five season. He had him in the top 25 near the end of the season. He beat Wake Forest. That was where his job security was, was in play, but they wouldn't give him an extension, which is fine, but they also wouldn't bonus him out. And by that, I mean, if you don't give someone an extension, you throw bonuses. If you win the ACC, you get this. If you go to a bowl game, you get this. Bonus him out even more than his current bonuses. So they wouldn't extend him or bonus him out. And honestly, they gave him a, a minimum win total of eight wins next season. Um, and he, they asked him to sign an additional contract that said, if you don't win eight games, your buyout's gone. So essentially they fired him because nobody's going to do that. No one's going to take that. No one's going to take that contract and say, okay, yeah, let me throw away my buyout if, um, if I don't win eight games. And Cincinnati came approaching at the right time, gave him his deal. He's making more money in Cincinnati. But the way he left was very bitter. And it, and it left a bad taste in the player's mouth about him. Because they don't really know this inside story, you know, or a lot of them weren't educated on it or don't care. So they're pretty ticked off. Now, does that mean they're going to win the football game? I don't know. But I do know that the lack of publicity about how this change occurred has a lot to do with what the inner workings at Louisville are and, and the way they're presented with this game. To your point, more kids could jump at the portal between now and this game. To your point, uh, they might show up and just not play because they're upset at the Louisville administration for getting rid of their coach or they're upset at their coach for leaving them. Um, so that's why you're a brave man to pick a side in this, because I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, I have no idea, um, but I, I do know they're going to go over 42 points. I understand why why Satterfield left, but what a masterful job by the Louisville AD. You know, basically forcing Satterfield's hand a little bit, and and then, you know, of course, since he comes gone, but you get the buyout for Satterfield leaving, and then you get the guy you wanted anyway to bring in Jeff Brom, and you could just divert some of that buyout money that you had just received back to Purdue. I, you know, I I thought it was well done overall for, for Louisville and hopefully Satterfield goes to Cincinnati and, and ends up, you know, keeping up what Luke Fickle was doing uh, onto our next one. Uh, also a Saturday kick, of course, uh, two fifteen kickoff Eastern in this one, the new Mexico bowl in Albuquerque, New Mexico, SMU right now in the market is a five or five and a half point favorite, depending on where you look over BYU. And I'll explain why in a second, that line has come up from one and a half since Sunday night. Um, and then the total on this game is 66. Mike, we have a whole bunch of uh, defections and injuries and, and different stuff in, in this game. On the SMU side, TJ McDaniel, the running back in the transfer portal, he, he's more of a rotational guy. doesn't matter as much because they have pretty good depth there. The one that really matters is Rashi Rice on the SMU side. Um, he's not going to play because of uh, an injury, just decided to, to shut it down for the end of the season. Um, he's a stud, 96 catches. 1,355 receiving yards and 10 touchdowns for Rice this season. But on the BYU side, you have even more going on. Um, there are heavy rumors right now that Jaron Hall is going to be shut down with the injury that he suffered at the end of the season. I've actually heard, and I, I heard this early Monday morning, that Hall was not going to play in this game. 
Uh, he's not, not going to play. Not not going to play. Yeah, I mean that's and the the market seemed to, to to be hearing that as well. It seemed like the cat got out of the bag at the same time because when I went to bet on Sunday night, it was SMU minus one and a half. When I woke up on Monday, it was SMU minus three and a half. That's where I put my bet in when I when I got the official word on Hall or the unofficial word on Hall, as it were. And and now the thing, like I said, it's either up to five or five and a half wherever you look. I think it's going to be closer to seven or maybe even who knows. Maybe he's even pushing seven and a half by kick because BYU, not only are they out Jaron Hall, Jacob Conover, their backup quarterback, is in the transfer portal. So BYU right now has three different kids that are practicing essentially in this like sort of two-week derby to figure out who starts this game. Three kids that haven't played all year, just total unknowns. And not only that, BYU had a starting receiver who who is injured, doesn't look like he's going to play, Keanu Hill. And the other thing on that side is they have a whole bunch of linebacker issues right now. Keenan Peely, uh, one of their linebackers who was number two on the defense in total snaps, um, he is in the transfer portal. And then their linebackers who rank third and fourth on the team in linebacker snaps are both injured and not expected to play. So BYU's linebacker court is also hollowed out for this game. Mike, with all of that said, what what side do you like or what angle do you have in this game? Everything you just said there, especially, you know, at the latter part of what you said with the quarterback situation, we're down to third, fourth string guys, fifth string guys. Okay, you know, Cade Finnegan, Nick Billups, Soljay Maeva Peters. Who who are these guys? They've never had any sort of uh, real competition. Uh, they're stepping into a, a role they're unfamiliar with. You lose your first two quarterbacks because Hall's not Hall's not going to play. It would be a miracle, I think, if he plays from what I hear. Um, you lose your first two quarterbacks. You can't win the football game, right? No, but you can cover. I'm taking BYU, and I'll tell you why. I, I, I'll tell you why. The, the first thing you said, you mentioned some nondescript, you know, part-time running back. I don't care. You mentioned Rice. He's their entire offense. He's not going to play. SMU is going to lay an egg. BYU is going to rally the troops. You know, they've got a tremendous coach. They've got a great culture there. Everybody's like, Jaron Hall's our guy. We're going to go play for him. Even though he's injured, he's not going to be able to play because Jaron Hall was going to play despite the fact that, it's, you know, he's, he's, he's an, a potential NFL draft pick. I mean, you heard all the garbage about him being a number first-round pick. All the, We don't believe that. You and I would talk nope. about this. Um, but he's got an NFL future. But he was still going to play. And, and Kalani Sataki will have these guys ready. You will see a very, very good performance from them. They may not win the game, but this is going to be a field goal game. Rice, to me, when I saw he was out, and I look at the numbers, and I've watched SMU a few times this year, that is the – it's it's you might as well play without a quarterback because he's their entire receiving core. Um, so that's why I'm taking BYU to cover the five and a half. And I think right now, wait, wait till the hall information comes out. Let this number get even higher, you know, and, and then take BYU. You you complimented my courage in, in earlier in the show. So so let me return that compliment. Taking uh, <laughs> taking one of those three guys that you mentioned, BYU going up against Tanner Mordecai. That that takes some some courage. I I will be on on SMU, of course, as as you probably got from my uh, uh, tone. Tone earlier, yeah, and and look, Rice is a big loss for sure, and and of course he's their singular, you know, the, uh, their best player on offense. They do have receiving depth though at SMU, they and of course they have the running back depth as well. 
the the running back one, they'll be able to cover for that kid easy. Rice will be tougher for sure, but uh, Tanner Mordecai, this being his swan song, his last collegiate game, he's he going to have to spread the ball a little bit more. Um, they, they don't, they're not going to be as dangerous without rice, of course, because rice is flammable, but I, I think SMU can remain viable on offense, especially against this awful BYU defense. One of the most disappointing units in all of college football this season, BYU's defense returned 10 starters and, you know, there was expectations for it and it was awful this year. That's the reason that they pushed up BYU pushed out their defensive coordinator after this season, um, several defensive assistants left with Ed Lamb. Uh, the associate head coach and the, uh, I think he was a special teams coach as well for BYU. He, Ed, Ed Lamb went to Northern Colorado in the FCS and took like four staffers with him. Uh, BYU also apparently pushed out their strength and conditioning coach. So, so they have a lot of moving parts um, there. The, the BYU defense is not good. And so the SMU, no. you know, it, they should still be able to move the ball. And then I'm wondering, you know, even with, you know, SMU's defense, of course, is terrible. But the only thing I, that I expect BYU to be able to do here is run a little bit with Christopher Brooks. I just think that they're going to be predictable unless one of those unknown three guys who hasn't taken a snap all year comes out and is all of a sudden uh, Ty Detmer or, or whatever. Barring that, I, I just struggle to see how SMU is going to consistently move it. Puka Nakua, they have a really good receiver in Puka Nakua. But are, do you trust one of those third or fourth string kids to come in and, and get him the ball? I'm not sure. Like I said, Brooks should be able to, to, to churn out some yards, but I trust SMU's offense going up against this crappy BYU defense that also <laughs> has that linebacker core hollowed out just a little I bit agree. more. So I'm going to lay the, lay the five. But, but as you say crappy BYU, you did say crappy SMU defense. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad yes. you did say that. The, the BYU's off, uh, defense sucks. SMU's is worse. Worse. Now, I get the quarterback question mark, you know, so is Mordecai a good quarterback? We're going to find out because he's going to be without his safety blanket, his number one target. The drop off from from Rice to the next wide receiver uh, is just 65 catches. It's unbelievable. So we're, we're going to find out. It's going to be interesting. So we'll keep an eye on this one, you and I. Spread that ball, Tanner. Let's do this. Um, moving to our, our next one at this is a 3:30 Eastern kick on Saturday, December 17th, the Jimmy Kimmel Bowl, Mike, in Inglewood, California. This is another one where the there's a whole bunch in the bowl season so far where the favorite has changed. Wazoo, Washington State, they started out as the favorite. They are now the underdog. Fresno State has assumed the role of favorite for reasons we'll talk about in a second. Right now, live in the market, Fresno's minus three, two, three and a half. I, I've seen it at both at books. So that thing is definitely trending upwards in, in Fresno State's direction. We have a total on this one of 54 and a half. The, the, we have a bunch of defections that I'll get out yeah. of the way to start. Wazoo, Wazoo's receiving core got decimated after this season. Uh, Dejan Stribling is in the transfer portal, as is Donovan Ollie, and then Renard Bell is injured. Those guys are one, two, and four on the team in receptions. Uh, that's tough for a really pass-happy Wazoo offense. Wazoo also, I was just we were just talking about BYU, that their linebacker situation. Wazoo's might even be worse. Uh, Francisco Maluga is in the transfer portal. Travion Brown transfer portal and Dayon Henley, the stud. Dayon Henley is, is going to the NFL draft. Uh, Wazoo has to do a whole bunch of uh, different shuffling because of this. There's two guys who have never started a game before who are going to come in and, and be starting here uh, for, for Wazoo. Uh, ben Wilson 
and Kyle Thornton making their first one of them's a special teamer and one of them's just a backup. They they have to they've already announced them as starters and they've, they've literally never started a game on defense. So so that's on the the Wazoo side. On the Fresno State side, it's only one kid, Cole Sanders. He did play the 12th most defensive snaps for them. He, he's a defensive back, uh, but he he had the fourth worst PFF grade of those 12. They also have, have a backup to him that is analogous, so I don't really think that matters on the Fresno State side. The only other thing I'll say is the uh, Wazoo defensive coordinator, Brian Ward, who did an awesome job this season, obviously got attention in the coaching carousel because of that. He ends up taking the Arizona State defensive coordinator job under new coach Kenny Dillingham. Mike, with all that out of the way, what's your angle in this game? My angles, uh, Fresno State. Um, you know, I, 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 I would a little disrespectful to our our, our buddy uh, Hayner at the end of our our season. You know, when I when I guaranteed one of my props was going to be the under. Uh, you know, against and it, it came well under because he was he was doing a lot against nobody defenses. But Washington State, as you mentioned, is decimated defensively. They're a pretty good defense otherwise, uh, but they're they're decimated um their offense is decimated at wide receiver fresno state doesn't have a lot of guys out um they have most of their team and, and i think that that's why the line is moved I and mean, you mentioned the opt-outs are the reason why the line moved so much but i'm not gonna I'm not gonna take a side in here I, I i do like fresno state i hate the line at three 54 and a half again i'm gonna go over now i know washington state lost all these wide receivers uh, but Fresno State only gives up 20 points a game. So logically, you would think this game is going to come under. Um, but I think the, the, the defense is going to dictate the way this game is played. Fresno State could get up early. Hayner could have his way against this defense that's decimated, which means, you know, Cam Ward and the others have to air it out and, and become more aggressive. Um, you know, DeBoer has a great offensive mind. He knows Fresno State. So I think you're going to see points, 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 points. And I'm thinking to take the over. Um, but if I had to pick a side, it would be Fresno State because they're just – they got more guys coming back. Yeah, and on the side, I, I agree with you there. I am on, on Fresno State in this game. To, to your point about the, the Wazoo defense, so, so they did rank number 18 SP+. plus. So overall, it, it was a really good unit. But a right. lot of that came because of situational stuff. Um, they uh, Wazoo was uh, num- number 34 in suppressing points per scoring opportunity, uh, number 22 in Havoc. But Fresno State's offense is better at preventing Havoc. And then uh, Wazoo also took the ball away. They were tied for number 20th in the nation in turnovers force. But the Fresno State offense with Jay Kaner also does not give the ball away. Um, the, the problem here, and Mike, you alluded to this, the Wazoo pass defense, it's it's okay in, in some areas where it's really where it really struggles is giving up completions. So the, the Wazoo defense is number 90 in the nation in completion percentage against. You know who's number one in the country, the offense for it? Fresno State. They complete the most passes. And that's even with the sample of Logan Fife, their backup, basically taking one-fourth of the snaps this year when, when Jay Kaner was out. Obviously, it's a totally different offense with Jay Kaner in. And, of course, this is Jay Kaner's last collegiate game. So, you know, I mean, he's he's going to want to go out with a, a good showing, et cetera. And then, you know, we were talking about the opt-outs. It's, it's a really big deal on the Wazoo side, and, and that's why I had to, to downgrade Wazoo pretty significantly here um the the receiver thing it really hurts because wazoo throws the ball so much even though cam ward i I think cam ward has become one of the more overrated quarterbacks in america like his pff grade this year was like 60 flat uh he puts the ball up for grabs a lot and and, and different stuff like that 
and, and that was even with a full uh, complement of his receivers. Now he's going to be having to play with a full complement of backup receivers in this game. And is Wazoo just going to change their entire offensive identity for this game? I, I don't think so. You, you're going to, you're going to, you know, go with the one that brought you. But the problem for them here is Fresno State is one of the better pass defenses in the G5. So, I mean, like, it, so in, in Fresno, uh, Fresno pass defense, top 20 in PFF coverage grade. So those cover men are going on Wazoo's backup receivers and Cam Ward, again, he's not a special talent whatsoever. So, like, I do expect uh, Fresno State's defense to be able to force turnovers here. They're certainly going to be forcing Wazoo into punting situations as well. I trust Jay Kaner and that offense to move the ball much better. And when, you know, both the teams are pass happy, but when Fresno does run the ball, um, I think they're going to have a little bit of success there because, again, Wazoo, a majority of their linebacking core has never started before. Um, and, and, you know, they're going to have to corral some of Fresno State's, you know, pretty solid running back room in space. I, I'm a fan of Fresno here. I'm going to lay the three points. I, I would also lay – I'll lay anything under four for sure. So th if, if you see three and a half when you're listening to this, I'm good with that. And, Mike, I'm going to disagree with you, and, and I'm going to take the under. Uh, the total was at 54 and a half just because I do expect Fresno State's defense to, to suppress uh, the, the Cam Ward passing offense on that one side. Um, moving on to our next one, we have a 545 Eastern kickoff on this one on Saturday, the Lending Tree Bowl in Mobile, Alabama. I'll be in Mobile next month for the Senior Bowl. Um, Southern Miss is favored right now, live in the market by six and a half against Rice. Fortunately, we don't have as many opt-outs or injuries to talk about in this one. In fact, Southern Miss doesn't have any that I know of right now. On the Rice side, though, we do have a couple to talk about injuries. Uh, their, their quarterback room has been decimated here at the end of the season, which really came to the fore in the last two and a half, three games, uh, which they all ended up losing because they had to go down to these backup quarterbacks. TJ McMahon, their starter, that's when he went down, you know, three games ago or whatever. And Wiley Green, who had, you know, at times been considered a starter for this program. He's been injured for most of the season. And when he came, they tried to bring him back late in the season, you know, in part because McMahon had gotten hurt. Wiley, or, uh, uh, Wiley Green re-aggravated the injury right away. I think Green's done for this season. McMahon is very, very iffy uh, for this one. You could consider him very questionable. But if you're, if you're out there listening, I would look into the TJ McMahon status because big difference between TJ McMahon and then the couple kids that they have been playing since then who have not done very well. Um, and then the other one for Rice, Luke McCaffrey, who, Mike, you remember him from the, from the, the recruiting trail. He had come come into school as a, as a ballyhoo quarterback bounced between a couple different schools. Then he went to rice. Couldn't win rice's quarterback job either. He stuck around though this time and they switched him to receiver. He had a breakout year. McCaffrey did uh, 54 catches and over 800 receiving yards, but he's been injured for the last two games, which is further hurt the, the rice passing attack. Uh, I, I'm uh, McCaffrey status right now is totally up in the air from a health perspective. But the other thing is, I don't think he said anything about this publicly, but there have been some rumors that he may consider jumping for the end of his college career and, and using the transfer portal again. Uh, certainly those are not substantiated at all, but he is someone to monitor his status, um, opt-out status and stuff like that. Mike, with all this stuff said, Southern Miss minus six and a half against Rice with a total of 46. What's your angle on this one? You know, the numbers speak to Rice, but everything you've said that I looked at does not. And, and by numbers, I mean, Rice is a very good team against the spread. Um, they're a very good team, you know, in this game, in these matchups. They've, they've played four times. Rice is, you know, pretty much favored against the spread. Uh, I mean, they're always the underdog and they always cover. 
So they're 4-0 against um, Southern Miss against the spread as well. But Southern Miss isn't missing anybody. And so this this flies in the face of what I said about BYU. I don't believe Rice has the coaching staff. Uh, Bloomgren's a nice guy and all that stuff. I don't think they have the coaching staff to keep this team like together. They're not gonna they're not gonna circle the wagons like Sataki does, and everybody's not gonna buy in the way BYU I think will um, against SMU. So I'm gonna take Southern Miss. Uh, I'm gonna lay the six and a half points. I could get over a touchdown. Usually, again, I, I, I with so many opt outs in college football these days. Um, you know, I try to lean towards the over-under more. But in this case, uh, there are no opt-outs. Southern Miss is going to be fine. They're going to be the better football team. They could win this game in a blowout. I agree with you. And, and that's what I think is going to happen. In fact, my system likes Southern Miss more than any other side the entire bowl season. My system has a game on this, or a line on this game of Southern Miss minus 14.8 against a Vegas line of, of six and a half. The Rice's season, uh, the fortunes, it just totally changed after the quarterback injuries. At the time, they had started out five and four. And then, of course, McCaffrey gets hurt as well uh, for, for those last couple. But they start out five and four. They end up losing the last three because of this, because of the quarterback injuries. And, and then the one to McCaffrey, their passing game just totally went away. And they have this paint by numbers running attack. And when their, their third string, four string quarterbacks are in, you know what they're going to do. And so it becomes even easier to shut it down. I think this would have been a bad matchup for Rice as is. Um, you can basically think about it as the Southern Miss offense. It's not good. It's 107 uh, SP plus, but uh, it, it's basically analogous to Rice's defense, uh, 111 SP plus. So you can just sort of forget those and focus on the other side of the handicap. Southern Miss's defense is going to absolutely destroy Rice's offense. Um, you know, in particular, if, you know, the, the third string guy is starting again, as we expect, or the, the fourth string kid, you know, whatever they decide there. And then McCaffrey, I, I, I just cannot assume that he's going to be in based on what happened at the end of the season. And based on some of these things that I'm hearing because of that Rice's mediocre as is offense, it now has to go up against this really, really good uh, Southern Miss defense. S Southern Miss defense is number 40 SP plus overall. But they're awesome at creating havoc. Southern Miss is number 13 in havoc rate. Rice gives up a ton of havoc. So, so Southern Miss is going to be living in the backfield this entire game and getting their hands all over uh, the ball, the passes and stuff like that. I think you might even see some, some forced fumbles here, everything like that. Uh, Rice is 128 in turnover margin this year. Um, and Southern Miss is really good at generating turnovers. Like I said, th this is a really, really bad matchup for Rice, particularly with their health situation. And Southern Miss, quietly at the end of the season, in contrast to Rice, really been coming on. Southern Miss covered five of their last six games. They're going to keep the good times rolling and beat Rice by double digits in that one. Mike, moving to our, our next one, 7.30 p.m. Eastern on Saturday. Oregon State favored by 10 over Florida in the Las Vegas Bowl, and of course, Las Vegas. We have a total on this one of 52. The the big opt out on the on the uh, uh, or uh, the the big news on the Oregon State side, uh, Rajon Wright, one of their two starting cornerbacks. He's he's out for the season. You're not going to see him. Um, the other one, Luke Musgrave, their tight end. Uh, he he opted out. He's going to go to the NFL. But Musgrave was sort of in and out of the lineup. He, he was hurt for a good part of the season. So that one may be not as big of a deal. The Florida side is much bigger deal with, with the opt-out stuff. Anthony Richardson, their starting quarterback, is obviously declared for the NFL draft. He's gone. Mike, you know that the, the backup quarterback for Florida is having really bad legal problems. He is done. For, he got dismissed from the team. Um, so Florida has to start Jack Miller the third, their third-string quarterback. Um, that, that could be a tough one. Florida also had Justin Shorter opt out their number two receiver to, to Ricky Pearsall. 
also the, one of the best guards in the nation in Osiris Torrance, the kid who followed Napier over from Louisiana. He's, he is declared for the draft and he is not going to play in this game. Not only that, Gervin Dexter, their stud defensive tackle, he is declared for the draft and won't play. Ventral Miller, their stud linebacker, has declared for the draft and will not play. This, these are a lot of losses on the Florida side. Because of that, this line has jumped all the way up to Oregon State, minus 10 at that number. Mike, who do you like? Yeah, this is not this is not good for Billy Napier at all because Mm-mm. as we see, the Florida fan base boosters, all that stuff are extremely impatient. Um, and you know, you come in, you're six and six your first season. You know, the 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 star quarterback was supposed to be the number one pick in the draft after the Utah win. You know, never really he got better, but he never really developed. Um, you got so many opt-outs. Um, you got kids looking to dip into the portal. Uh, and Oregon State is a really, really good football team, especially defensively. Um, so Jack Miller, good luck to you. Um, you know, you were a four-star kid out of Arizona, going to Ohio State, transferred into Florida, couldn't find the field. Now you have, but you didn't beat anybody out to do it. I think Florida's going to get absolutely croaked in this football game. Um, Oregon State, everything's going well. Everything's positive. And nobody knows about them. No one's seen them. They're that quiet team on the West Coast that nobody really has an idea of how good they are because people don't stay up late to watch football games. You know, their coach just got an extension. The recruiting is going better. Uh, The the portal is going better. Everything is positive there. And Billy Napier, of course, is coming off some, uh, you know, a a difficult season and a difficult end of the season. Uh, I'm taking Oregon State personally for myself. I'm laying the points, whatever it goes up to, because I think this could rise a little bit. But right now we're talking about 10. I think they're going to win this game by 20 points. I think Florida is going to absolutely get destroyed. And I think fans are not going to be happy with Billy Napier after this football game. This room, you remember a couple of years ago when Florida had the opt-outs of Kyle Pitts and yeah, they uh, Trask with nobody. Yep. Yeah. Grimes. And you know, they had all, all the different opt-outs and well, Kadarius Tony was the other one. And yeah, Kyle Trask was like, I, I, I'm going to play. Uh, and then he, yeah, did awful. And then they, they had to bring it Emory Jones at the end of the game and got annihilated by Oklahoma. Th- this one is just the smaller uh, bowl version of that. Your points are really well taken on Oregon state. Oregon state was going to be a buy for me in bowl season anyway. Uh, spent, and now they become all the more so against this Florida team. I was going to sell Florida anyway in bowl season. And this isn't even the bad Florida team that we saw at the end of the year, right? Like, because of all the defections, Florida lost to Vanderbilt at the end of the season. And then, you know, had that uh, two game losing because I also lost to Florida State. Uh, Southern told twice at the end of the year. And then all these different defections, defense, defensively, the Gators were number 78 overall SP plus had the bad defense. And now you take out two of their best or maybe the two best, the front seven guys. Now you're going against this run-heavy Oregon State offense. Oregon State's offensive line is going to maul Florida. They weren't tough up front anyway, and now you lose the the, the two main contributors there. Uh, so Oregon State's going to do whatever they want in terms of that. They're going to be able to stay on schedule. On the other side, Florida's offense was inefficient all year, but it was super-duper explosive. It was one of the most – you know, they generated some of the most explosive plays. But a lot of that had to do with Anthony Richardson. Now you take out Richardson. You take out their best offensive lineman in Torrance. You take out their number two receiver um, in Shorter. This is not looking good. And on Oregon State, they have a top 25 defense. Like you said, people just don't realize how good the Beavers are because they didn't see as many of their games. The Beavers are legit, and they're going to drop kick Florida. I, I'm with you, Mike. I, I think this one is Oregon State by 20 or more. Um, yeah, moving I on, to- a, I would put a large deal on this. <laughs> it's just I, I'm telling you, plus the, the, the mentality that I can't stress here enough, Florida's mentality is not good right now. It's just not. 
There's not a lot of buy-in right now. In Oregon State, there is 100% full buy-in. So go big on this one. Our last game on Saturday, we have a kickoff on this one at 9.15 Eastern, the Frisco Bowl in Frisco, Texas. Of course, Boise State is a 10.5-point favorite right now in the market against North Texas. We we do have to say North Texas, this is very, very close to their stadium. So it's, you know, you could consider it sort of de facto home in terms of just the locale. Although North Texas, of course, a very strange firing after the season of Seth Luttrell, their head coach, after North Texas had just reached their conference title game. You know, what we heard afterwards was Latrell had been told, Mike, you mentioned the eight win threshold, but, but when we were talking earlier about a different coach, Latrell apparently was given that before the season by the North Texas admin. And they were like, yeah, you didn't win the, you didn't get there for the conference title game. We're not going to give you a shot in the bowl game. So they asked him, there's all sorts of weird stuff going on there. They're trying to find an AD as well. Haven't hired, haven't hired a new coach, but North Texas, fortunately for them, no opt-outs on the uh, Boise state side. George Halani uh, hurt his, his shoulder in the Mountain West title game. He did return to practice last week, and he is expected to play. Uh, Stephen Cobbs, one of their starting receivers, he missed the last two games of the regular season. His status is unclear. Mike, in this one, who do you like? Absolutely, 100% uh, Boise State. Um, lay the line. Again, this is a team – in North Texas, as you said, that eight number um, doesn't matter if you make the conference title game. Seven and six isn't going to play for us. We wanted eight wins. Um, this is a team sort of in flux and transition. Uh, Boise State, a much better football team to start with, I believe, um, and, and also more together. So I, I know you might think opposite of this because a ten and a half is a lot to lay. Okay, in a game that is, as you said, close to North Texas and, and North Texas may be sort of like rallying. But I think Boise State wins this game by 13, 14 points. Um, I'm tempted about the over, but I don't really know enough uh, as to how many points North Texas is going to score. I believe Boise State will score. So give me Boise State in this one. It's an odd firing, as you mentioned. We've, we've had odd firings. Um, we've had, you know, the Satterfield thing was kind of like a force out. This was an odd firing Navy. I mean, we've had some weird situations. And what it does is it crumbles the infrastructure. And you that's what you want. You fire Seth Luttrell. You want, you want to start over. So it's almost like, you know, uh, uh, blowing up a building and having everything collapse and then building from the foundation. But this is a team that's going to have to build from the foundation and they're not going to be ready for it in this bowl game. So give me Boise State. I, I think that's well said. It's a part of the reason why I just can't take North Texas here. I, I do lean towards Boise State, even though the, the line has justifiably moved up as the market has, has sort of flooded money on, on Boise State. But I trust Boise State to bounce back from their loss in the Mountain West title game to the aforementioned Fresno State. Um, Taylon Green, the quarterback for Boise State, the big dual threat kid. I think he's going to have his way with this really bad North Texas defense. Um, we saw, you know, the last time North Texas was out, they got absolutely shredded by UTSA. North Texas a defense gotten shredded by every decent offense that it's faced all season long. So I don't think Boise State's going to have any problems with that, especially, you know, if indeed Holani is close to 100% for this game, as, as reportedly he, he's moving closer to between Holani and between Green's rushing utility. Uh, you're not going to be North Texas is not going to be forcing Boise state to punt whatsoever in this game. So, so the Boise state offense is going to be fine. And then on the other side, Austin, uh, Oon, the, the old, you know, the 20 late twenties year old, uh, quarterback for North Texas, he did declare for the draft or he says he's going to declare for the draft, but he said he's going to play in this game. 
Um, but I've never been a big fan of Austin and Mike. We were talking about this in our last episode. All of his counting stats this year were accrued in you know playing these crappy defenses and running scores up against the better defenses he faced. He was not good. Um, and so, like, I, I don't trust him, especially against this Boise State pass defense that throughout the season has, has been pretty, pretty good. Um, and Boise State also, you know, barring the Fresno State one, they did have a, you know, before that, they, they had a really good uh, finish to the regular season. But even if you include the Fresno State game, Boise covered seven of their last eight games. I, I do think they probably keep the good times rolling here against North Texas. Guys, before we get back to our final couple games on the card, we want to tell you about this opportunity to win a signed Isaiah McKenzie Buffalo Bills mini helmet, courtesy of our friends at Pristine Auction. You need to subscribe to the Betting Pros YouTube channel right now. Uh, comment below on the video if, if you're watching this on YouTube, and, and that's it um, to, to qualify. We will be announcing a winner right here on this channel, so make sure to turn on your notifications so you can be alerted when new episodes are up and to claim your prize. Mike, moving into the home stretch. Now we've gone from Saturday to Monday, December 19th. This is a 2.30 uh, Eastern kickoff. I, I love when the bowl games start playing during the weekdays. It's one of my favorite things. Uh, this one, the Myrtle Beach Bowl in Conway, South Carolina. Marshall right now is a 10-point favorite over UConn live in the market. Your UConn Huskies, Mike. We have a total on this game of 40 and a half. No reported opt-outs on the Marshall side that I have seen. UConn, uh, the running back, Nathan Carter, is in the portal. But Carter, Mike, as you know, was banged up for most of the year. So, I mean, that, that, it's not much of a manifestation in terms of, you know, a loss, whatever. One thing to keep an eye on on the UConn side, uh, they had uh, sort of cluster injuries, both at running back and wide receiver this year. UConn thinks that there's a shot that they could get Cam uh, Ross and Keelan Marlin back for this game from injury. We don't know on that yet, though. It's totally up in the air, but they've sort of come back to practice in a limited capacity. So that's something to keep an eye on. Mike, who do you like in this game? This is a hard one, man. I mean, obviously, we know I didn't believe in UConn at the beginning of the season. The job Jim Mora did is probably, you know, if you stack it up, even against the Lance Leopolds of the world, it's the best job in college football this season. He should have been a coach of the year finalist, Jim Mora. He should have been. Absolutely. It's a one eleven football team that Randy Edsel just cashed money and drove into the ground. And he said, you know, oh, well, goodbye. Good luck. I mean, he literally <clears throat> almost burned this program to the ground. Independent status, you know, facilities nobody's using, recruiting that's nowhere, um, no fan support on an off-campus stadium. And yet Jim Moore goes six and six. But 10, you know, 10's the big number. I don't care. I mean, Marshall's probably going to win this football game. They're a better defensive team they're actually a really good defensive team um UConn can't score as much away from home uh at home they're a much better football team than they are on the road and I know this isn't a a road game in the sense where they're at their opponent's home stadium but they're going to South Carolina and when they get on a plane they lose about 17 points of offense but 10 I'm gonna say UConn because they've been so good against the spread this season They've just been consistently that team that surprises me. You know, I've always said, like, I can't – in Connecticut, I'm not allowed to bet on UConn games. Boy, I wish I could because I'd make so much money. Because I did for years and years and years. This year, I would have lost my shirt. They're 5-1 they're, they're and one against the spread in their last six games playing as an underdog. Obviously, they're an under, underdog here. They're 7-1 and one in their last eight games against the spread overall. Um, they play well against the spread out of conference. Everything – speaks to me that they're going to keep this game within 10 points. The thing that scares me is Marshall has a very good defense, as I mentioned, and UConn doesn't score as much on the road. But if they can 
put together a couple drives, put together a few points here and there. They're going to stay within 10. Marshall's going to win this, but take UConn to cover the 10. I'll keep my thoughts short so so we can keep it moving. My uh, Marshall, I'm going to take that minus minus the ten. I'm also going to take the under at, at the forty and a half. My system's total on that is thirty eight and a half, and my adjusted side total, uh, my my thing on the side is Marshall minus fourteen point six. Very very in in short here, Marshall's defense is if not the best in the G5, it's one of the top two. They're going to shut out the lights on UConn. UConn's not going to be able to do anything in this game. And then on the other side, we can trust Marshall's running game. They have one of the better rushing attacks in the G5 as well. And they just got back Rashawn Ali after Kalen Laborn, the Florida State transfer, had already broken out as a star uh, you know, earlier this season. So now Marshall has two of the best running backs in the G5. They're going to be able to move the, the ball on, on you know, a UConn defense that did play better than we thought, but uh, Marshall's going to have no problem scoring. I, I think they're going to beat UConn by double digits. Mike, our next one... This is a Tuesday game, 3.30 p.m. Eastern. The famous Idaho Potato Bowl, everybody's favorite in Boise. San Jose State is minus three and a half in the market against uh, Eastern Michigan. Total on this one of 54 and a half. We have only a couple uh, um, uh, different opt-out and injury. new, or Actually, nothing on, on this one. I, I take it back. We, we, we don't have any ones that I've seen. Who do you like in this game, Mike? I like Eastern Michigan. Um, this line is is a tricky one, you know, and it's probably going to fluctuate a little bit more. Um, you know, San Jose State's a, a good football team no one's ever heard of. That's why they're favored in this game. Um, Eastern Michigan, obviously, is a team that, you know, nobody really knows a whole lot about. Uh, but they win football games that they aren't supposed to win. They're very good against the spread. They're very good as an underdog. Um, you know, now San Jose State is not good against the spread. They're just not. Uh, they're a good football team, but they're 0-6 in their last six games against the spread. But they, you're going to lose money on them consistently, and they become one of those teams after four weeks, five weeks in a row. If you bet them, I'm not going to bet them anymore. So, uh, you know, this is Eastern Michigan to me. Uh, you can break down the the Jimmys and Joes, X's and O's, but I'm looking at the number, and San Jose State has let me down far too many times, and I think Eastern Michigan is good enough football team to actually money line this. I, I wouldn't mind money lining it. Yeah, there's a couple games earlier, you know, I've talked about big discrepancies between my numbers and the Vegas number. This one, in terms of both the side and the total, it's the closest of any game on, on the bull schedule. My, my adjusted line on this one is San Jose State minus 3.3. It's minus 3.5 in the market right now. And my adjusted total is actually smack dab 54 and a half on what the Vegas one is. I am going to, Mike, I agree with you. I'm going to take the points with Eastern Michigan just very shortly here. The reason is because I trust Eastern Michigan and I don't trust San Jose State as, as far as I can throw them. Eastern Michigan, um, you know, one of the things they do really well is keep uh, scores of games really close. You know, that, that's part of Chris Creighton's philosophy and stuff like that. And they're really good situationally in part because they they get into that situation a lot. Uh, this year, they went five and one in one possession games. They're, they're a tough team. Chris Creighton is a proven bowl commodity at this point. He's three and one against the spread in his career in the postseason. And then the other thing, uh, San Jose State, they really stumbled down the stretch. They had a tragedy on their team. One of their teammates uh, sadly passed away in October. Ever since then, they've they've gone 0-7 against the spread in, the, in their last seven to, to close out the season. Um, San Jose State just wants to be done with this season. They didn't. They didn't agree to play uh, remake. Uh, what, what, how do you say? Uh, replay that game against New Mexico State that had been postponed. They could have done it on the conference title weekend, but they, they didn't want to. I, I think San Jose State just wants to move on from this season, move into next year. Eastern Michigan badly wants to win this one. The wrong team might be favored here. My, my system might disagree with me, but that's that's what I think there. And Mike, moving on to our the last game that we're going to talk about on this episode. Uh, this is another Tuesday. Uh, 
kickoff or Tuesday game, 7.30 p.m. Eastern, the Boca Raton Bowl in Boca Raton, Florida. We have Toledo against Liberty. Toledo live in the market right now is a four and a half point favorite. We have a total on this game of 54. And the 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 only inactives here and injuries, they're they're more minor ones. The, the one thing I did want to mention is Liberty got back both Charlie Brewer and Caden Salter at the end of the season. They both played along with Jonathan Bennett in the last game. You assume with the, the couple of weeks that you have in between that that those two guys are going to be healthy, which is big for, for Liberty's offense. And then, of course, the other thing being Hugh Freeze left Liberty for Auburn. So uh, Liberty right now has the interim staff as they're waiting for Jamie Chadwell to come in. Mike, who do you like in this one? Um, so it's the expression is give me Liberty or give me death. But it, in this case, no, it's not. Give me Toledo or give me death. Um, Liberty has limped their way to the finish here, you know, losing to UConn, Virginia Tech, New Mexico State. Hugh Freeze chopping himself around for that Auburn job, lack of focus overall, and they couldn't stop the run to save their lives. And and what did we see from Toledo to win the MAC? Uh, a really strong running attack. So that rushing attack against a bad Liberty rushing defense, which is getting worse every game, it seems, uh, is going to be the difference here. And, and Toledo is going to win this football game by more than four and a half, probably by more than seven. I, I- I like how you you put the Toledo offense against Liberty defense handicap. I do expect Toledo's offense to to have a ton of success here. Um, uh, one of the things I didn't mention was Daquan Finn did come back at the end of the season for Toledo, played the entire game in the MAC title game. Toledo won that, beat, uh, beat Ohio by 10 points, and they covered. And Daquan Finn proved that he was healthy. You know, he'd been in a walking boot before then. Last week, if you take out the one sack he took, uh, I think it was for 10 yards, Daquan Finn ran for like 95 yards you know, just on his other runs or whatever. So his mobility is back and Toledo has a good uh, running game anyway. So they're going to have success on the other side. Um, and this is a part of the reason why I'm going to go over. I, I do uh, agree with you, Mike, in terms of leaning towards Toledo. It's just where that line is. My system's got a line on it of Toledo minus two. So I'm, I'm going to sort of shy away from that one, even though I do lean with the same way with you and go with the over. My system's uh, total on this game is 63. That's nine points above where this one is in Vegas right now. With, with the quarterback situation on both teams now being clarified, I think both these offenses could have success or will have success. So I'm going to roll with Toledo in that, or I'm sorry, with the over, and then I, I, I lean towards Toledo. That's all, guys. That's all that we have for today on this episode. Um, we will be back for three more episodes where Mike and I go through all the different bowl games. And on Saturday morning, this coming Saturday at 10 a.m. Eastern, Mike and I will be live for 90 minutes um, on YouTube, on the Betting Pros YouTube channel, just like we were every Saturday during the regular season going over um, the next slate of games. And then also, if anyone in the audience has any questions, you can ask us player props, sides, totals. We can also talk some about the games that are going to be played on Saturday. For Mike Farrell, the godfather of recruiting, I am Thor Nystrom of Betting Pros. Good luck with all your bets. Enjoy bowl season, and we'll talk to you soon.